Okay, here we are in Matthew 14, 22. That's on page 1520 in that book rack Bible. And uh, we're going to be looking at water walking today. Anybody walked on water lately? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a boat and felt that you might be in trouble? Uh, there's something about realizing that you're in trouble in a boat, in water, that is just terrifying. I've had a few of those experiences myself. I remember years ago, my good friend Jim Beelig and I were out salmon fishing, and we had his boat. He had a kind of a family boat. I don't know. It was 22 feet, 24 feet. I don't know. It was not. It was a ski boat, pleasure boat, but it was also big enough to go out into the bay and, if you were brave, out into the ocean. And so we did that, and we went out through the gate, and things went pretty well, although we didn't catch any fish. I do remember that. And on the way back in, uh, the tide had changed, the waves had gotten a little bigger, and we were trying to work our way in, and near the south tower of the Golden Gate Bridge, there was just a froth of waves happening, and we got a little too close. It just sort of drew our boat into that, and and there we were sort of powering in and out of these surges of waves, and we felt we were getting closer to this tower, and it got a little dicey. And I remember one point, Jim sort of whispering to me, I think we should put on our life jackets. That was a scary moment. We put on our life jackets just in time for this huge wave to crest over the boat and just completely drench us. And, and, and by God's grace, we were able to power out of that, but not before uh, our pants getting wet. And that's another way of saying wetting our pants. Um, it, was, it was terrifying. Sometimes I've seen those television shows, uh, Deadliest Catch. Have you ever watched that? Uh, and you see these commercial fishing boats out of the Bering Straits and these 20 and 30 foot swells. And it's just, it is terrifying to be in the ocean or in a place where the waves are cresting and your life might be in danger. Well, the disciples have their own story about a watery tempest that certainly got their attention. Let's read about it here in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. While he had dismissed them, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. When When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him, to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Wow. Okay. So this is an interesting story, and we've read it before, or if we haven't read it, we've probably heard it. Uh, This is a story about the power and faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's also a story about how He comes to us in the storms of our lives. It's a, power, it's a story about power and faithfulness. It's also a story about faith and faltering, about belief and doubt. There's a lot here to take in. So let's listen carefully. I see this breaking down into basically three main themes, and then we're going to put a little addendum at the end. This first little section, verses 22 through 24, I think tells us that whenever we follow Jesus, even if we follow Jesus, we might end up in a perilous situation. Another way of saying that would be that doing what Jesus asks you to do doesn't always mean smooth sailing. Can anybody agree with that this morning? I mean, what, what is this about people believing that to follow Jesus means everything in life suddenly gets smooth? Everything turns out great. I think that's not only the lie of the enemy, but unfortunately, it's sort of the subtle uh, misconception of many churches and many people who call themselves Christians. That somehow, if you walk with Jesus, everything in life is easy. It becomes easier. It becomes a life filled with bliss and and uh, uh, joy and pressure is off and all of that. Now, there's some beautiful things that come as a follower of Christ. There's no question about that. But the Bible never tells us to follow Jesus means that it's going to be smooth sailing in our lives. Let me point out to you in verse 22, look at it again there in the text. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. I I, I noticed the the word made there. This is a strong word in the Greek language. It shows forceful actions. The disciples really didn't have a voice. They were told by Jesus and then literally moved by Jesus into the boat and told to sail off to a place where he would meet up with them later the next day. Matthew shows us that uh, when he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So let's just stop here for a moment and recognize what's going on. Uh, Jesus is dismissed dispatching his disciples to go off to a place so that he can go spend some time alone with his heavenly father. Remember for Jesus, his ministry always flowed out of his relationship with his heavenly father. It's a good reminder to us of the way ministry ought to flow out of our lives. Ministry is not jobs that we do. It's not tasks that we perform. Our service, when we think about our process, worship, community, service, evangelism, our service just like Jesus needs to flow out of our relationship with God, not uh, just because of we're doing perfunctory uh, service. And Jesus is fueling that reserve. For ministry to flow out, he needs to be spending time with his heavenly Father. And this, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's a good reminder to us that this is something that we as believers need to do as well. If we're not filling up our hearts, if we're not maintaining those reserves, if we're not taking time out of each day to meet with God, to speak with God, to let God speak into our hearts, uh, there probably won't be a lot of vitality in our Christian experience. We may end up just going through motions a lot and sort of becoming uh, cultural Christians. And, And that's not a biblical term. In fact, there are a lot of cultural Christians who are probably not even saved. People that would identify with a church, they would identify with a creed, but they have no life relationship with the living God. And so one of the earmarks of a person who's truly a follower is this not just going through motions, but taking time and getting away. We see this in the life of Jesus. But from a a purely uh, observational viewpoint, it's a beautiful thing here to me to see that Jesus has sent his disciples while he goes up to be alone. And then it says that as Jesus looked out and saw what was going on, 
he comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. Now, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., okay? Six to nine, first watch, nine to midnight, second watch, midnight to 3 a.m., third watch, and so forth. So here he is in the fourth watch of the night. This is uh, 3 to 6 a.m., and the disciples have been out rowing on their way west across the, the Sea of Galilee, and the winds have come up. This is a place where uh, as providence would have it, the Sea of Galilee was situated geographically uh, in sort of between these mountain ranges where these crazy storms spin up out of nowhere. And I've been actually to the Sea of Galilee. I've actually witnessed this firsthand going out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee personally, lake calm, lake beautiful, and within 20 minutes, a squall stirring up and waves and wind and even rain, and it was a crazy experience. Now, the disciples were in this situation feeling like, you know, maybe this was their time. I mean, they were away from Jesus. They were afraid, and, and Jesus uh, comes to meet them. Now, just let's stop here in the context of all this and just think about this. Jesus told them to get into the boat and go. He told them to go into the boat Sometimes Jesus sends us in a direction where we are on a collision course with some kind of problem or issue that we don't know how to handle. Could that possibly be somebody here today? Where you, in obedience to Jesus, find yourself in the crosshairs of a really difficult situation. Maybe, for example, where in the night you wake up one night and you realize, I've got to stop or I cannot commence with lying to my clients based on what my boss is telling me to do. I, I hear people all the time in the workplace who, who describe to me in the workplace the unethical behaviors that uplinks and directs are telling them to do to, in order to perform and to do better in business. And maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you right now, maybe there's somebody here today who is in one of those situations where in obedience to Christ, you are now going to enter into a storm in the workplace. You are going to have to confront some things, you're going to have to uh, confess some things, whatever's going to go on, and it is going to put you in a, in a perhaps a compromised situation. Uh, maybe you have been in a rough marriage and things have not been going well, and you've been thinking about the idea of separating and moving away from this marriage because it's just difficult. There's challenges. You seem to be arguing all the time. There doesn't seem to be peace in your home, and, and you're just frustrated as can be, and you're just tired of it. You're tired, tired, tired. And there's not necessarily uh, an immoral act. There might even be some suspicion of things, but you have no credible evidence of anything. There's just a, a spirit of blah or tiredness, but the Spirit of God wakes you up and says, out of obedience to me, you need to commit and go deeper in your commitment to this marriage. And in obedience to God, in obedience to doing what He's telling you to do, He's telling you to get into the boat, you're about to experience a squall of your own. For over the next several months or maybe years, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Maybe today you're sitting in a place where you've been serving here in this ministry in some way or another, but God is speaking to you about doing something different, and He's calling you to a new area of ministry. Or maybe He's even calling you out of this area to another area. I don't know. 
But I want to encourage you to remember the fact that if God's calling you to something, it's not always necessarily to be thought of as something that is going to just go by smoothly and without altercation or without some kind of conflict. I see that in the first two verses of this text. Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. And you might be sitting here today with a conflict going on in your own life, and you've been complaining to God about it and frustrated about it with God, and maybe the Spirit of God would just sort of nudge you quietly this morning to realize that this is part of our discipleship. Our discipleship as believers is to go through trials and tribulations. Some of you have spent an inordinate amount of time in the hospital over the last couple of weeks. You've been with a loved one who's had surgery. You've been with someone who's got a very difficult diagnosis. You've been in and out of the oncology department. You've been running blood tests. You've got all kinds of things going on, and you're, you're just swirling with, God, where are you? What's going on? And, and this is exactly where the disciples are. If you're in this kind of situation right now, just following Jesus, wham, something has happened in your life. Listen, there are a few things that you need to remember if you're in that situation. That's what I see in verses 25 through 31. Some reminders that are important when we find ourselves in these kinds of places. Now, if we looked at Mark's gospel of this same account, Mark's gospel says that when Jesus saw them straining against the wind, he got up to come to them. Now, Matthew doesn't give us that detail, but Mark does. And this reminds us that God sees what you're going through. He may have even actually led you into it, but just don't forget that God is watching what's going on in your life. He sees the straining against the oars. He sees the pressure that you find yourself in, and he wants you to see that there are three things to, to just, you can't let go of during this season in your life or whenever you find yourself in these seasons. And the first is this, Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. And he doesn't want us to fear. Verse 27 Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. I love that. God speaking to the children of Israel in Isaiah 43, 2. Let's put this on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Maybe you found yourself in a tough situation. Look at what God says to the children of Israel in their situation. Let's read together. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isn't that good? Now think about your situation, your family situation, your health situation, your financial situation, your work situation. And while you are tempted to fear, the first thing we need to take resource in is that Jesus is with us. And this is exactly what Jesus' presence means to the disciples right here and to you and me as well. He's here. Don't fear. One of God's immutable attributes is His omnipresence, which means He is everywhere at one time. But for the believer in Christ, there's a special promise. It's His manifest presence. It's the recognition that not only is he here because he's everywhere, you know, his om omnipresence, you cannot go where, you know, Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. 
Uh, God is everywhere. But for the believer in Christ, this is a beautiful picture as Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now it's interesting, the question might be, because you see what the disciples happen here, they, they kind of start freaking out, uh, and they call him a ghost. <laughs> um, over in Mark's gospel, in the sixth chapter, in the same retelling of this story, in verse 52, Mark says that when Jesus got into the boat with them, they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Now, that sounds really weird, perhaps, but this shows us that sometimes as believers, when we're in tough situations, while Jesus is with us, we don't always recognize Him. We don't always see Him. For the disciples that night on the lake, they thought of Jesus as a ghost. They did not see who He was. And when they climbed into the boat, as Mark tells us, uh, they had not understood from what Jesus had done because their hearts were hardened. Let me just say it this way. So often in our lives as Christians, we don't see Jesus in the tough situations in our lives. Watch this. Because in the tough situations, we're actually not really looking for Him. We're too focused on the situation. And so when He shows up or when He reveals Himself, we have a hard time distinguishing who He is. Now notice also here that Jesus comes to them in the storm, walking on the waves and the tempest. I love this. This reminds me and all of us that Jesus comes to us in and through the very thing that's freaking us out. He comes in and through the very thing that's freaking us out. The storm of cancer pulls the believer closer to Jesus. The storm of a broken relationship pulls the believer closer to Jesus. The storm of a wayward child can pull the believer closer to Jesus. The storm of death can pull the believer closer to Jesus. But you've got to be looking for him. And if you're not looking for him, chances are you won't see him as he shows up. Let's take a moment and think about the storms of our lives, physical, emotional, relational, financial. Right now, I want you to see that that storm is the very thing that Jesus is choosing to come to you and to work in your life through. Whatever that situation is, this is it. This is the place that God has chosen in His amazing and sometimes difficult providence He has chosen this to be the place where you encounter Him in a more powerful, personal practical way in your life. You know, Jesus says when he says, take courage, it is I. In the Greek language, this is a profound statement. It is ego a me. Now, that doesn't do anything for you unless you study the Scriptures and find that in the Gospel of John, for example, Jesus uses this phrase seven different times. The I am sayings of John are powerful. For example, you've heard them. I am the, the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the great I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Ego, Amy, I am. This is the same word that God gave to Moses when Moses said, Who shall I say sent me when he was going to Pharaoh? And God said to Moses, He said, Tell him that the I am has sent you. God is the great I am. This is the Hebrew word to, to be, the self-existent one. 
the one who stands outside of time and out of every particular issue of our lives and has all things under his control as sovereign ruler of the universe, he says, I am. You want to know who I am? That's who I am. I am. And Jesus says, I am. Jesus is proclaiming his own deity by saying this. He says, take courage. It is I. Take courage. I am the sovereign God of the universe. Take courage in the tempest of this ocean, sea of your existence right now where you are up and down and backwards and forwards and your life seems to be upside down. Take courage. I am. I am the one. I am the one that can meet you right where you are. And Jesus says, do not fear. Here's another reminder we need. Not only is Jesus with us, number two, Jesus affirms our demonstrations of faith. He affirms our demonstrations of faith. I love this. So Peter, when he hears it, feels a great surge of faith within. And, and Jesus, if Jesus is walking on the water, then I would like to do that too, Peter says. And he says, Jesus, if it's really you, can I come? Bid me to come out. And I love Jesus' response. I love how he simply says, come. Come. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Peter gets a hard rap on this. I mean, people always, you know, oh, Peter, you know, he's so impulsive. He gets out of the boat and the winds and the waves and everything, and he gets, you know, hey, Peter got out of the boat, you know. I mean, Peter, at least Peter said, Lord, I want to do this, and he wants to be with the Lord, and so he steps out in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. God loves it when in the midst of our situations, we want to step out in faith. To demonstrate courage is something that Jesus himself affirms. What might be the stirring in your heart to do in the midst of your crisis right now? Magnanimous forgiveness of somebody who has just ripped your life off. To reconcile with somebody that has just hurt you so deeply. What's what stirring of the Spirit of God in your heart today would be a, a picture of faith and courage in the midst of your crisis? Praising God for the issue that you've been dealing with in the hospital this past week. Giving praise to God, knowing that God is working out His purposes. That takes courage because it's easier to mope. It's easier to be upset. It's easier to doubt there's a young man in our ministry. His name is George. I got to know him. He started coming to Dawn Patrol. We sat together one morning. And then he asked, hey, I heard we play basketball, you know, and so we got to know that way too. He started playing basketball with us. He was a guy that's uh, just kind of finding his way, young man, uh, probably about 30 years of age. And uh, over the first few weeks of Dawn Patrol, you could just see his antenna going up. His uncle, who had uh, invited him to come live with him for a while, had been bringing him, and just you could just see the Spirit of God working in this young man's life. And getting around the guys at basketball, too, we pray together every time we start a play, and, uh, and it's just a beautiful time. And, and so uh, along the way on this journey, for almost a year, George uh, says to me one day, he says, hey, I've got, I'm not going to be around for a while because um, I've got some things I need to straighten out. I lost my license due to some uh, issues, and I, I need, he's working, God had just, God had been doing a build back in his life, and he was seeing it, and he's following the Lord, and he's all full of joy, but he knows that there's like this thing that he needs to straighten out legally, and so he tells me, he goes, I'm going to go to the judge, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, here I am, here's what's going on in my life, I need to straighten all this stuff out, I need to get my license back, but this was such a courageous moment, because he knew that what that probably meant, he would have to spend some time inside, and so 
so we prayed for him, and, and off he went, and, uh, and he met the judge, and sure enough, I mean, he got like a month in jail. And, uh, and he was a little nervous about that, uh, coming out of where he was in life and just how God was working. But so we had corresponded during that time. We prayed over him. I prayed over him. He's not quite sure what he wanted to say to others about it all, you know, how that goes. But he sends a letter back to me, and he's out back. He's going to be in the second service today. He's just loving God and doing great work. But listen to this. He sends me this letter, and I'm kind of concerned about him. Like, well, what's going to happen? He's going to be in there from 30 to 50 days. He's going to be away from Christians, away necessarily from Christian fellowship here. There's Christians on the inside. But he sends me this letter, and I just love what he says here. I'm just going to quote a little part of this. He says, he says thanks for your letter. Uh, it was great to hear from you. He says, for me, I'm doing good, and the work of God continues to grow stronger in my heart, and the blessings keep coming. We do prayer every night in our room, in our dorm, which I get the pleasure of leading. But only by the grace of God, I'm able to do this. We also do a reading of Bible after, after this as well, and I get the opportunity to do that. Larry, I must admit, I know why God put me here. I'm a servant of the Lord, and passing the word as much as I'm allowed in this place, and the response is absolutely amazing. God is great. And I think, you know, he goes, on, he goes on to say a few more things, but that was so encouraging to me. When he got out, we've been sharing together and just encouraging each other's heart. And he said, you know, it was like all my fears, it, just this huge faith movement in my life. But God not only blessed me, he gave me opportunity to grow in my faith and use the situation in my life to extend the grace of God to others. And this is what I mean by the fact that Jesus affirms our demonstrations of faith. Join him today in that step of faith that he's prompting, stirring in your heart to do, even though you don't know right now the, the outcome of what it's going to be. Jesus is with us. He affirms our demonstrations of faith. And here's a third thing, and this is beautiful, verses 30 and 31. Jesus remains faithful even when we are not now, Peter often takes, as I said, a bad rap here, but like I said, he's the only one that gets out of the boat. But we can't get away from seeing the fact that, that as he starts moving to Jesus, something goes on. Uh, on the heels of great moments of faith I've learned in my life comes the ominous clouds of doubt. When you step out upon the stirring of God's Spirit in your life, there's a great likelihood that there's going to come some clouds of doubt. And this is what happens with Peter. And of course, you know, you can allegorize this, and I've heard lots of sermons on what's going on here. Uh, but I think the simple, uh, basic meaning of what's going on here is that, um, that as he's going down, he cries out, Lord, save me. And this is exactly what Jesus does. And by the way, this is always what Jesus does. But here's, here's the deal. This is what I want you to think about. This is not a story as much about Peter's faltering as it is a story about Jesus' faithfulness. None of us, even on our best days of following Jesus, can say that we've always done things right. We misfire and falter often in our faith. And sometimes we think that the key to our faith is holding on to Jesus. But in reality, the key to our faith is Jesus holding on to us. 
But right now, maybe you're feeling some doubt in your life because you don't feel like you've measured up. You've not done enough. You've not performed well enough. You've not achieved enough. But can I just encourage you to consider this morning that it is not how, whole, how hard you hold on to the hand of Jesus, but the assurance of knowing that Jesus' hands hold on to you. That it is his faithfulness that's in view here. He's with us. He affirms our demonstrations of faith and he remains faithful even when we are not. That's Jesus and I'm so glad. Now all of this brings us to the last movement in the story before a short addendum. What I see here in verses 32 and 33 is that God uses perilous situations in our lives to transform us, watch this, into worshipers. Now you see, this, this is a great telling mark of who really follows, who really knows Jesus. Because the person that belongs to Jesus is transformed into worshiper, a worshiper as a result of his peril. Where a person who does not know and have a relationship with God is not transformed into a worshiper, but probably moves more towards cynicism, rebellion, anger, self-destruction. The list could go on and on. In verses 32 and 33, it reminds us that when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him. Now, this is the first time in Matthew's gospel where the disciples are said to have worshipped him. And I think this is very intentional on Matthew's part. There's a reverence and a sense of awe for who Jesus is. And I'd like to remind us that when it comes to worship, true worship requires an accurate view of Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, it's pretty hard to worship him the way he deserves to be worshipped. True worship requires an accurate, accurate view of Jesus. Notice verse 33, truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time that the disciples actually confess what they know about him. Remember before in chapter 8, verse 27, remember it says, it's, it's who, who is this that the wind and the sea obey? That's what they say, who is this, the disciples ask. But here they're not saying, asking, who is this? They're actually saying, this is him. This is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is God in human flesh. And this will come out even stronger when we get to chapter 16, when we hear Peter's great confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. As a side note, but important, we work hard in our musical worship to use confessional truth to honor the Lord Jesus. When we proclaim the majesty and deity of Christ, it's a part of our worship experience. And that should be something on all of our hearts. Our worship leaders pour through lots of songs, and a lot of songs stay on the, uh, on the table, so to speak, because they don't honor and lift up the true nature and deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and for us as followers of Christ, our, our discerning uh, instincts come in place and in focus as we come in places like this where we come to worship our great God and King, that we are tuned to the reality of the fact that we are here to worship the one and only, not one of many, but one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the three primary movements. Is he making you into a worshiper today? Is the situation in your life that you've been struggling against creating in you a greater heart to worship the one who made you? 
that doesn't mean always that life feels good. To the opposite, life can feel very foreboding and challenging. But in the midst of that, he's forging in us a desire to worship, a desire to praise, because we see that he alone deserves our worship and he alone is the one who can rescue us ultimately in this life of trial and tribulation and bring us safely home. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And Jesus is always calming our fears because he's given us a picture to remember that life outside of this existence is where all of God's promises ultimately come to be. And like we've said recently, and I've been saying it a lot to people, Greg Laurie's quote, I love it, Christians don't live happily ever after, we live happily even after. doesn't matter what's going on in your life today. You could be in the worst situation. You could be literally going to the chopping block like some of our brothers in Christ and sisters have experienced, knowing that we live eternally with Christ, our Heavenly Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, one day home in glory with Him. Well, what's the addendum in this thing? Verses 34 through 36 doesn't seem to fit here. It's a little hinge passage. They land in Gennesaret. Uh, The people of that place recognize Jesus. They send word all throughout the country. And look look what's happening. Everybody comes. They beg him to just let the sick touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. What a scene that must have been. And here's what what I simply note, that there's a time, even when we've been through perilous experiences, when we just need to get back to the work. And maybe that's you today. Um, Here we go right back into the flow of the gospel record. Crazy moments, things are hard, but the rhythm of ministry goes on. More to do, more people, more challenges, more everything. Some of us need the gentle reminder in our hearts that perhaps it's time to move on to the work, even though we've been in a season of really hard moments. Is this you today? If it is, then why not begin again? There's nothing Jesus cannot do. So meet him here today. Meet him here right now. And just like those that came and touched the hem of his garment to be healed, why don't we reach out and touch him anew this morning? What a Savior.